<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hello and welcome to the 2022 season of Wannabe Walk-Ons, a Nebraska football and craft beer fan podcast and the official podcast of the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. I'm Drew, and I am joined by my friend and co-host, Ben. Thanks, Drew. Each episode, we will sample craft beers, mostly local, some beyond, while sharing our unique brand of Husker Insight. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Wannabe Walk-Ons for the most up-to-date show information. And please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or listen to each episode on wannabewalkons.com. On this week's episode, Drew and I get back into the groove as we react to the Oklahoma game, preview Nebraska's matchup against Indiana, and sample beer from Omaha's Site One Brewing. I'm Ben. And I'm Drew. And this is Wannabe Walk-Ons. So, Drew, you had quite the day yesterday where you got to experience the Oklahoma game in person. I did, And I yeah. have some questions about what okay. the environment was like. Can you tell me a little bit about what the energy was like at Memorial Stadium before the game and when the game kicked off, tunnel walk, all that sort of stuff? Yeah, yeah. Um, and those are those are actually like my most of my notes on the Oklahoma game kind of actually surrounded that. That's great. So I'm glad you asked. Um, yeah, pr- prior to um, the announcement that Frost was fired. I was really not looking forward to going to this game, to be honest. Like, yeah, hey. Because um, I was, it just didn't sound fun. With Mickey being um, named the interim, it re-energized me, and so I was curious to see how that would um, translate to the to Nebraska crowd in general, and I think it really did. Um, before the game, there was great energy. We went out, I was out in Lincoln Friday night, stayed overnight. Um, it was it was hopping and bopping um, down in the rail yard and, and all that in the Haymarket area. Um it was a good crowd before the game. Everybody was psyched up. You could feel it. Um, Mickey Joseph was out there. He was leading drills. They were showing him on the big screen, yelling at his guys, getting up in their face, getting them, getting them ready, bringing that energy. Um, and the crowd was really feeding on that. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, the tunnel walk was was great. Um, it will always give me goosebumps every time it happens, no matter what. Um, but it was a really good one. And then with Nebraska driving down and scoring that first touchdown, man, they look so good. Um, everybody was feeling it. Um, obviously the game turned south in a hurry. Uh, but even after that, I will say the, the energy never turned completely negative. Sure. It felt, um, it felt like everybody was kind of like, it, it felt inevitable that, mm-hmm. that things were going to go the way they did and, and people just kind of accepted it, but probably not until, Oklahoma took that thirty-five to seven lead late, yeah. late in the second. I think that's where the belief and the hope died. Sure, um, but Which pr- even that felt like Oklahoma's game plan, right? 
kill that hope. Yeah, that yeah, belief. yeah. Get rid of it. Yeah, take suck the energy out. And yeah. it took them. A, it did take a long time because Nebraska. It felt like they even because they they drove it down. They it was they were down twenty eight seven and they were really struggling. Um, but they they did drive it down and they could have gotten within two scores there. They just couldn't convert on that fourth down and so. Um, so after that, and then with Oklahoma scoring to take that 35-7 lead into the half, that's where it felt felt like, okay, they're not going to win this game. Sure. Um, but even with that said, the Boo Birds never came out. Um, people never really turned nasty. There was, you know, there's comments here and there, um, you know, when, when plays would happen. Um, you almost feel, feel, though, like that's pretty ill-informed. If, if you're someone who's making a comment about the negativity and, and that sort of thing, that's kind of disappointing from a from a fandom perspective, and maybe you're just not fully aware of the situation. Yeah, I think so. And at, at that point, like I, honestly, I'm the type of person like if you're if you're gonna sit there and just like rag on a team while sitting in the stands, just get out of the stands. But yeah. go home. Like if it's if it's that bad, just leave. Yeah, honestly. But um, but people stuck it out for yeah. the most part. Um, and again, just the people around me never. It never turned nasty, which well, was great. The reason I ask is I spent the whole week this past week at Husker Harvest Days in Wood River. And the energy even around this game coming up was was very high. Folks were looking forward to seeing Mickey Joseph's debut. Everyone had a good, strong belief in the way that the players were going to respond. We know there's a lot of great leaders. There's a lot of big hearts on this team. And I think people were excited to see that come into play. You know, there was definitely some frustration. Like, why didn't we do X, Y, and Z against Georgia Southern? Why didn't we make changes that felt so freaking obvious from a play perspective on defense and on offense? But people were saying, you know what, I'm excited. I hope Mickey gets a fair shake. I want to see Mickey give him hell. I want to see Nebraska really respond to this Oklahoma team. So it, it was it was neat to see that energy, to hear people be excited about this game. I was trying to go into the game being like, you know what, whatever happens, happens. And in that first score, I was like, we're going to fucking win this game. <laughs> <laughs> it's over. It's over, baby. It, yeah, that really was a shot in the arm. Like, that was. Oh, man. Yeah, I can like, only imagine. Uh, it, it felt like you were like, okay, we're in for it now. Yeah. Like, we're in for a game. I turned to my wife and I go, man, I'm going to have to be nervous this whole game. <laughs> and then Oklahoma took control and I didn't have to be nervous anymore. But yeah, for that yeah. for that initial jump, you thought, okay, there is a spark still here. There's something there. Um, and I, I don't think it would be fair to, to judge Mickey or even this team on this game. Um, entirely, just because like Oklahoma is not the same team that they were last year no. when we played them close. Like Venables really does have this thing, I think, working out. Like they're n- they're not perfect yet, but they are they're a good team. They're yeah. a playoff contender for sure. Um, and and to be able to to have to go through what the team has gone through, you know, like losing their coach and and Mickey coming in and trying to make some changes, you know, here and there, but to do it with six days. Yeah. Um, to prepare to go up against a team of this caliber, I don't think it's I don't think it's fair. I don't think it was fair for us to truly expect for for big changes. We wanted it. I think yeah. you know we were excited about it. Um, the last time an interim head coach won their first game against a ranked opponent was against Oklahoma. So I'm just saying it was possible. <laughs> yeah, there's history there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it but it just it just goes to show you like energy obviously is not enough like you can't ride that for very right. long like the the team is still broken in a lot of areas and so um, yes Mickey can revitalize the fan base to an extent and maybe revitalize the team to to an extent but he's gonna have to now prove that he can coach them up sure um, and and start to show some improvement in those areas where they've struggled. 
Well, we can dive into that a little bit further in, in just a minute. But the first things first, I mean, we are a football and a craft beer fan podcast. So we need to dive into the beer that we are currently enjoying. Yes. And like I said, we are talking about Site One Brewing out of Omaha, Nebraska. Also Elkhorn with a new tap room. I've got a little bit of a background on Site One, and they do things a little bit differently there, so they're kind of a neat brewery to talk about. Yeah. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the beer we're drinking, and then we'll move into the game. How's that sound? Sounds great. All right. So here's my profile on Site One. $250,000 is the average startup cost for a new microbrewery in North America. The high-cost entry point could be a major hurdle for home brewers eager to make the leap to professional brewing. Add in having to scale your recipes, learn the operational ins and outs, manage a staff, be the boss. Oof. Owning your own brewery is remarkably daunting. Am I, am I still selling you on it yet <laughs> for you? Sounds great. Where do I sign? <laughs> Ask any brewer out there and they'll tell you those roadblocks don't even scratch the surface of the little hiccups you'll encounter while chasing your passion of being paid to brew beer. But don't let this negative talk turn you away, Drew. Site One Brewing is here to put your mind at ease. So what specifically is it that makes them so unique? You see, Site One recognizes all the struggles of new wannabe brewery owners and offers up their facility to learn the ins and outs of professional brewing. Site One is more than a brewery. It's a platform where aspiring professional brewers can gain real-world commercial brewing experience. It's a place to hone their craft without immense startup costs. Site One provides a shared workspace with all the equipment and guidance brewers need. They don't have a permanent brewmaster who's there to establish a site one taste. Instead, they cycle through on contract, so brewers have a year or two to define their style, share their beer with Omaha, and go on to brew in a f facility of their own design. So when you're drinking site one beer, you're not just drinking the next pint of corporate yeast water. You're drinking someone's dream. This experience-driven brewery incubator was brought to life by Mike Peter, Ben Cat, and Melanie Fellin. Its doors opened on January of 2021 on 26th and Farnham in Omaha, Nebraska. This past summer, Site One celebrated a year of success by opening a second location, a tap house in Elkhorn, Nebraska. So to put it in their own words, Site One Brewing creates a unique experience where you can explore a variety of ever-changing locally crafted beers, see the behind the scenes of how each brew is made, and celebrate a community of entrepreneurs who dare to dream big. You'll experience every moment, every conversation, and every last drop. So that's a little backstory behind the beer we're about to consume. So Very site cool. one is is wholly unique, yeah. right? Where they're here to incubate and create the next great brewer. And boy, howdy, if you can't taste the excitement and the passion in the beers. Yeah. So before us, we have a timely beer. This is called Corgi's and the Queen. It's an English IPA. Comes in at 6.5%. Drew, what are you thinking about this beer? Uh, this is fantastic it doesn't scream ipa at all it also it, it, it more um to me it more seems like a almost like a session pale ale mm. the way that it drinks mm -hmm. um but it's very bold it's very big very aggressive in it's in its bitterness and its maltiness but it's so well balanced that all of that aggression is um very welcoming sure. on each sip it's like power chords right it's a mm -hmm. great song that's just driven by like major chords yeah you're getting Big notes of orange, big notes of malt, big notes of bitter, and it's loud and it's in your face, but it's also refreshing and fun and exciting. Yeah. It's a really nice beer. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was down there um, on 26th in Farnham asking which beers to get, this was at the top of the list. They're saying this is a fan favorite. I got a sample down there. So, excuse me, I had a throat bubble there. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I get a throat bubble, 
Um, I always joke that I sound like the Allstate guy. Allstate. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> so whenever yeah. I get a throat bubble, I just say Allstate, and my wife's like, oh, clear your throat. That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> little, little inside joke in my marriage. So now everyone can feel like I'm being personable on air. <laughs> But yeah, so this Corgi's and the Queen is a is a delectable beer. I mean, it's just really fantastic, um, and I can absolutely see why this is a, a flagship beer for them. Yeah, I'm 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 truly blown away for by it. I'm glad that you shared it. Um, I think it's cool. I like Site One. I like I love the concept yeah. um, and what they do, allowing brewers to, you know, really have a sort of just a place to learn and grow and figure their stuff out without it taking that huge risk. Um, and I think having that safety net there probably allows them to feel more comfortable um, experimenting and figuring out what they want to do. Um, and it turns out beers like this. Yeah. So, yeah, I can't complain about that. They also have some regular beers that hit that rotation, which is also important for brewers to practice, right? Creating that consistency amongst a beer so that they have something that they can stake their claim on. But they also, yeah, they really leave it open to experimentation, and it creates some incredible styles. This is an English IPA, which you don't see on a lot of menus. Later on, we're going to try an Australian sparkling ale, which I've never seen at a Nebraska brewery. I don't even know what that's I'm, supposed to taste like. Right, I've never heard of it. That's going to be a new experience. So for I'm excited both of us. to look into that one. Uh, but yeah, site one, check them out if you get a chance. They're in Omaha. They are in Elkhorn, and they do distribute a little bit around the state as well. So you can find them on tap at different restaurants and different bars. So check out site one. Yeah. Well, moving right along, it's time to talk about Nebraska, Oklahoma, kind of a, a of a tough watch after that first quarter, even maybe into the second half of that first quarter. Nebraska drops this one forty nine to fourteen to number six. That's important to point out that this is a very good Oklahoma <laughs> team, number six Oklahoma. Yeah. Drew, let's start by talking about Nebraska's offense and Oklahoma's defense. What did you see in the game? What what bring comes to mind when you're thinking about that facet of the game? Um, immediately what comes to mind is just how much trouble their, their defensive line gave us. Absolutely. Um, they were able to, there were times where they were able to generate pressure, which is three guys. Um, they were doing a really good job with bringing blitzes, um, disguising those blitzes and where they were coming from, um, and just beating our guys in a lot of different ways. And it wasn't just one guy in particular on that line. They were all kind of struggling together. Um, so that was... Pretty tough to watch, but not again, not wholly unexpected. This is this is a, a Oklahoma defense that really thrives on on generating that chaos there in the tackle for loss in the sack department. Um, so that was tough to see. On the plus side, though, I was very impressed by our running backs yet again. Not just Anthony Grant, who who actually struggled today. I must have um, got a notification on my phone, oh, so I okay. apologize no, for that. Okay. Apparently, my phone is linked. We're going to go ahead and I mute thought, that. <laughs> I thought maybe if I said Anthony Grant, I would just get like a... <laughs> um, it feels like that. Yeah, right? It feels like that every time he touches the ball. That's how I feel. Yeah. <gasps> <gasps> um, so he, he didn't have his best game, obviously, um, but guys like A.J. Allen and, and I thought Gabe Irvin in particular looked really great. Um Gabe would would get a hole and he would just hit it. Yeah, he's got great burst. AJ Allen, I thought, showed really good patience and the sort of the same movements that you see from Anthony Grant on his better days too. So, we got a really good stable there. I'm still excited to watch them moving forward. Um, and then I know uh, one of the other things that jumped out to me was Trey Palmer was the only receiver who had anything that resembled a good game. Mm-hmm. Um, we I think we had ten guys total catch passes. Nobody caught more than two outside of Palmer and nobody caught over 20 yards outside of Palmer. And so 
uh, in that sense, it it was kind of like being like they were spreading the ball around. Casey Thompson and Chuba were spreading the ball around, but it was still almost one dimensional because you were funneling it to to Palmer the entire time. Which so. which is indicative of a of a Mark Whipple offense. He likes to feed the top guy, the guy who's making the most out there. Another thing that I noticed on top of the things that you mentioned now was the decision making quality of the quarterbacks in this game. The defensive line for Oklahoma was absolutely just terrorizing our offensive line and getting into the backfield quite a bit. Yeah. But I thought that both Casey and Chuba had a good game as far as their decision-making quality. We only threw one interception. It would have been a punt the next <clears throat> play anyway, so and it wound up being a touchback, so it wasn't the worst decision-making that, uh, that we've seen from quarterbacks in the past. And I think that that has to do with Whipple's coaching as the quarterback's coach. He's giving his guys that leeway to not have to do everything, to not be the key playmaker on the team and only make plays when the play is there, take as much as, as the defense is giving you. And so I really liked seeing that. That gave me some confidence moving in where Nebraska's had trouble with turnovers in Big Ten play that I thought, hey, you know, these guys can build off of that. This was a really tough defense. It's going to mirror the kind of difficult defenses we play in Big Ten West play. So why not get a little experience with this? Why not be battered and bruised and say, hey, Here's some stuff that we can definitely improve upon. So you give two weeks off with the bye week coming up, and they can really learn from this film. So I'm looking forward to how the offense evolves after getting really hit in the mouth and then hit with a knockout punch. Yeah, yeah. And and I think, um, I guess to speak more to the quarterbacks, Casey Casey did fine uh, with what he was given. I thought Chubba Purdy brought in a really good element with his run game. Yeah. In this one, it was just a nice little wrinkle. So even I, I don't remember what his pass completion was like. I think it was like seven of eleven, but not not very many yards. Right. I think he only got like thirty five yards on the game. And so, but him him being able to um, to escape and make some some plays with his legs, I thought was probably a good indication of, of what his future might look like. I think in total, Nebraska had was it three turnovers? I think it was a plus two turnover margin. Nebraska got one turnover mm-hmm. from Oklahoma. And for it to be a 49-14 to 14 game, you would expect that turnover margin to be a little bit higher, that you would expect the ball to have been turned over a little bit more in this game. Obviously, Oklahoma's offense was rolling. Oklahoma's defense was rolling. They were operating at a very high level, but Nebraska's offense wasn't giving the ball on turnovers. And so I thought that that was a definite improvement. And I don't mean to be like grasping at straws here to find improvements, but there are things that last year were bugaboos. And this year, you can see improvement upon it. So I just want to highlight those for Nebraska's offense. Obviously, Oklahoma's defense terrorized. That defensive front is something that the stunts that they pull in order to confuse the offensive line is is really something. And you're not going to see that from a lot of teams in the Big Ten. They're just going to line up and ground and pound. Yeah. Um, but this Oklahoma defense really has something going for it. Yeah, they do. They really you, do. You expect nothing else coming from, from Venables, Brent Venables. Yeah. yeah. Any other thoughts on Nebraska's offense going going through this game or Oklahoma's defense? I thought Yant also put up some nice numbers. He looked fresh. He looked good out there. You mentioned Chubba Purdy's legs. I think the future looks bright with Chubba. Yeah. He's got a nice arm. He throws a good ball. He runs well. He gets out of the pocket, looks downfield. Again, good decision-making. I don't hate the interception he threw because, like I said, it was a touchback. Yeah. And it, you're you're down that far. I think he was scrambling on that one. Yeah. He, he threw it into the end zone into double coverage. Like, there was no chance of probably making that throw. But you put up a prayer at that point. He also kept fighting and yeah. he scored seven points in the fourth quarter. We beat Oklahoma in the fourth quarter. Yeah. This game was that. only, yeah. <laughs> Suck it, Oklahoma. How's that feel? Uh, it was a good bookends game. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, cool. There's no need to dwell on it, right? No need to sit here. We, we, we all watched it. Yeah. We were all, we all experienced that. So together. any, any thoughts then moving into Nebraska's defense against Oklahoma's offense? Oh, man. 
That, yeah. I mean, not really other than that. Oh, man. Like, it was just, that was rough. It yeah. was tough. Um, I don't know. If, I don't think I expected. I didn't, I don't remember what my prediction was. I think I guessed that Oklahoma was going to hang 50-some on us. So, maybe better than I expected. They only put up 49. Um, but Oklahoma essentially did what I what I thought they would do. Um, they scored t- touchdowns very quickly. Yeah. Um, they, they didn't, I don't remember what their... They had uh, drives of a minute 49, 217, 55 seconds, minute 55, minute 10, minute 41, and 310 on their touchdowns. Like, yeah. they just they just moved the ball like that. Yeah. Um, really cut through us. Uh, the run game in particular was hard to watch. It was hard to watch their, their guys. And you wouldn't expect that kind of an evolution from last year to this year that they relied so heavily on their run game because that's not a Lincoln-Riley offense, right? He likes right. to air it out. He likes to be aggressive on that front. But Oklahoma, leading up to this point, they've been a run-heavy team, and then they've used the pass to dissect teams further on once they start to load the box, which isn't something you expect coming from a Big Ten team, Mm -hmm. or excuse me, coming from a Big 12 team, is to really focus so much on that run game. They have been a high-scoring team. Well, now that they've got a defense who can give the ball right back and then an offense that can just grind away and, and wear you down. And that's a recipe for some serious success. Yeah. And and I guess the one thing, I don't know if this is positive or negative or anything, um, they didn't have a, a standout receiver against us. I thought Mims stood out Mims, pretty good. No, Mims, okay, so Mims did. During the game, it seems like, wow, Mims is having himself a great game. Yeah. He was also in on, I think, punt returns and stuff there where he, yeah. had, he had an impact on the game. But, like, Theo Weiss was also having a game. Um, but looking back at, like, the box score... They did a, they did a really good job of spreading the ball out too. Mm-hmm. They didn't have they didn't have like that one guy that really jumped out. Oh, okay. The way that Palmer did or Is he, that how you, you know, felt? The way that yeah. No, I I really did. Like looking back cuz as I was watching I was like, "Man, Mims, you know, he's he's picking us apart here." But um but yeah, he he didn't have like a massive I don't think he had a touchdown against us, a receiving touchdown. Um it it wasn't the massive statistical game that Nebraska's defense tends to give up to like a top receiver. Sure, that's fair. You know what I mean? Um, it was still a dissection of our defense. Yeah, it was just they had no issue moving the ball. It. They had none whatsoever. No. Um, there was one thing that really um, that caught my eye during the game. So I think it was like middle of the third quarter. At that point, the the game was over. We knew it was lost. Oklahoma had run sixty offensive plays at that point. They had 25 first downs. And I remember seeing that on the screen and just dying a little <laughs> inside. Because that is, that's that's abysmal. Like, that is this defense in a nutshell. Yeah. At least on that Saturday. You could start to see it sink in on the defense. That tiredness, that yeah. kind of, man, we've been through the ringer. I don't think a bye week could come at a better time. I think everyone needs a rest, a yeah. reset. What I will say to the defense's credit is they seem to be in better communication this game. They seem to be a little bit better in, in lining up and being more comfortable with where they were lining up. It's just that Levy, as an offensive play caller for Oklahoma, is so experienced with SEC defenses, with a lot of high-power, high-profile defenses, that as soon as Nebraska was lined up, he was able to dissect and pick those apart because Nebraska is now just getting back to a net neutral they don't have the skill, the coaching, what have you yet, to do what Oklahoma did, which was just to disguise all their looks, to switch it up you know, at the snap, to throw all these stunts in. We're just trying to get back to a net neutral. And with, with two weeks of time to kind of start to coach up, I expect to see a little bit better gap integrity. We started to see some improvements there where guys were there. Tackling, I thought, looked really much improved in the first half. Nebraska was getting their hands on guys, holding on tight. 
it started to get a little bit worse as the game progressed and guys were starting to tire that defense. Nebraska's defense was on the field for a very long time. Yeah, they were. I think the time of possession ended up being pretty well split, but they still faced a shitload of plays. Yeah. I think they're the only team in in FBS who've faced more than 300 plays on the year. Jeez. Um, and they have the extra game, you know, more so than most, but but even still. Like, they right. they have played a lot, a lot of plays on on defense. Um, so, yeah, and, I, and I, you know, I, the whole tackling issue has been talked about a lot. You know, it's like, these guys aren't tackling. Um they they know how to tackle. Right. They know how to do like you don't you don't forget how to tackle. It's the angles that you're taking, it's the gaps that you're missing, mm-hmm. um, it's the leverage that they're giving up, it's the fact that they're they're being fooled, um, you know, one way or another and falling a step behind. And it make it just makes them look slow. Um, it makes them look a little bit lost. It makes them lunge on their tackles and, and miss out on these arm sure. tackles because they're just that half step behind. And so you know whether they whether they can simplify the defense like they talked about to to maybe take some of that thinking away um, and get them get them playing football that they they know they can play again whether that can happen or not I don't know um, but I, that needs to happen um, in order to fix this defense is they need to be put in a position where they they just aren't fooled on yeah. these offensive plays. And that's where I'm talking about getting back to a net neutral, yeah. right? Is getting back to the point to where the basics are covered. Your gap integrity is there. You're in the right spot. Who know, who cares if the offense knows what you're going to do as a defense? The point is that you are there and ready and waiting for it as opposed to trying to surprise the offense. Because right now, nothing. We're not doing either of those things. We're not no. surprising the offense and we're not where we're supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. So I'd like to just get back to, you know, that neutrality in a sense. Yeah. Just being where you need to be and letting guys like Nelson and Mathis and Robinson and Newsom and Hill and Buford, like let those guys go to work. Yeah, Reimer can't forget Reimer, yeah. the guy who does the most. The guy that's tackling yeah. more than anybody. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I do have a gripe to pick. Okay, and that is with Jeff Levy. Don't run a fucking trick play when you are up by like three touchdowns. That to me is the worst sportsmanship in the world. I hate that. And I might be in the minority here of people who hate trick plays, but I feel like that should be a personal foul (laughs) when you're up so much on a team that's clearly like not even on the ropes anymore, but just trying to just keep up. And you're like, hey, why don't we have our tight end throw a touchdown to our running back? I don't know how you feel about that. You're giving me a look like fucking grow up baby defend it like yeah, yeah. and that's, that's and that's fair like you said you're I, yeah i don't know how most people are and and that's if you want to take if you want to have a qualm with that fine like if you if that upsets you i get it um everybody in the fucking stadium saw it yeah as it was unfolding like oh fuck me like you hear like everybody around is like no like he, <laughs> oh, yeah. why you know before the pass even came out but you but if you go back and look at that play the all the all of the defenders all of them Ran. There was three Huskers that ran right past the running back coming out of the backfield. Um, they all were glued to the ball, and nobody nobody covered him. Nobody. But he was. It was so obvious what was happening as it was unfolding, um, and that's where it's like. And I don't. I don't know if that's like. Are they playing like? Because that's where. Okay. So they they talk about like. Oh, maybe we need to simplify things and just get after the ball. It's like. But that's that was a simple fucking way to play that play. Just run after the ball. Too simple. And so, um, so I, I don't know that I don't have a problem with them calling that play because that's a dagger in the heart of that defense. 
Yeah, but that's to like, end the game. That's like the Simpsons meme where it's like he's already dead. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't like I said that we weren't until I, even at that point. Yeah, even after that we weren't dead. Like because I'd only put him up twenty eight to seven, and Nebraska still believed. Like you still felt like okay, Nebraska can still. As long as our offense can get going and we just get that one fucking stop, like we can at least get back into arm's reach. It was still that point. And so, I don't know. I didn't have a problem with that call at all. But did you feel like that call was necessary in order to score a touchdown on that series? It wasn't necessary, but it was a. F- it, but that's what made it so fucking great from like their perspective. If Nebraska had done that to Oklahoma, it would have been fucking hilarious because it's like we're not only are we going to kick your ass – we're going to kick your ass in the way that we want to do it. Like, yeah, we don't have to do this shit, but we're going to do it because it's going to work. I do see the other side of that coin, and I'm, it's a self-conflict where I'm like, okay, I, that <laughs> pisses me off to no end. But also I do appreciate from a play call perspective of let's just put them down. Yeah. Put them, like, let's, n- let's not just score points on them, but let's hurt them morally. You're like, fucking let's with them. hurt their emotions. Yeah. And that's what it did, and that's why I hate it. Because it hurt me emotionally. <laughs> yeah, it was painful. So as much as I have a gripe, you're right. It was also a genius play call because it took more than just points on the board. And, and it did more than just increase the spread. It took wind out of the sails. Yeah, as a, a fan, I was like, fuck. Yeah, in a big way. And I'm sure that they probably did the same thing to them on defense. Because they were like, fuck. Like, they're just, they're toying with us at this point. Oh, yeah. You know, and so yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was a brilliant call. I thought they did a great job of it. I think they knew exactly what was going to happen. They were like, "Look, all all Nebraska's doing is trying to fly to the ball. They're yeah. trying to play on energy. Fine, we'll we'll just out scheme them." You know, and it worked. It worked very well. Yeah, that's enough for for Nebraska's defense against yeah, Oklahoma's need, offense. We don't need to recover anything anymore. that you have on special teams. I have a couple of notes. Um, so I guess I didn't have a ton. My one thing was it was interesting to see. Bleak Road get a punt? I didn't even notice that. Yeah, he got a punt. I don't remember when. It was it was later in the game. Um, nice. They, yeah, they, they made the announcement on the PA. They're like, Timmy Bleak Road in for the punt. And I was like, what? No, he's not. <laughs> and then I looked, and I was like, no, yeah, that's a little little guy. Yeah, he's out there. And he punted. He had like a 51-yard punt. Well, he kicked. He punted for Furman. Oh, did he? His last okay. team. He, okay. he definitely punted for them. So I'm not surprised. He's He was their place kicker, their field goal kicker, their punter. Yeah. So that's not bad. I mean, Bushini's had a hell of a year, but if you were to go down him, you don't want to, you don't want to miss out on on some of that ability. Fifty one yards is great. I think Bushini's average is right around like forty six yards. Yeah, this was a and this was a situation from what I remember where they, he could just uncork, like he could just pop one off, and it wasn't like they weren't trying to like pin him deep. Um, it was middle of the field type situation, like between the between the twenties, um, and so yeah, so they were like just go out there and boot it. I don't know. I, it was interesting to see. Um, him, it was just interesting to see him out there. Well, he wasn't yeah. doing anything else, so <laughs> yeah, right. might as well use him. Yeah. Uh, so here's my two notes. Okay. One, I thought it was really interesting that the first time really Nebraska tried to return a punt was against the quality opponent like Oklahoma, and <laughs> yeah. Palmer did a pretty damn good job getting shuffling through traffic and confidently fielding a punt. I was like, he didn't yeah. fair catch that. Oh shit. Right. And you know what? It was nice to not be uncomfortable. Be like, hey, I trust the guy who's back there to catch that ball. As soon as it was Palmer and not Martin, I was like, oh, we're gonna. F- try and field this we're yeah. gonna try and do something so that was nice to see and then also oklahoma missed a field goal so fuck you you know that <laughs> that felt pretty good that's a big w for us that was a huge win yeah it felt like a huge <laughs> win when it happened yeah that's true yeah that's so true. yeah i agree i um they rotate kick returners pretty regularly like that you never really know who, what two guys are going to be back there um it was palmer winemaster um 
I don't remember. I don't know. Brody Belt was back there at one point. Some other guys. I don't know. Either way, I've the one thing that's been disappointing, and maybe this is asking too much, but I wish they'd be more aggressive on kick returns when sure. they have the opportunity. It's not always because a lot of the times, you know, they're booting it out. Um, I don't know what sort of um, coverage they're looking at when they're fielding the ball and what they're looking for, but I just I assumed that there would be more aggression there, that they would try to make special teams, at least on the kick return, especially in punt return, more offensive than defensive. But it seems like they're leaning into the defensive side of things and saying, look, just field the ball and be smart and keep the, the big chaos negative plays out of the equation, which I'm fine with. Yeah. Which is good. I, I think when you look at last year's numbers and moving into this year, you think, hey, getting back to neutral is a win. Getting yeah. back to neutral gets us five yards better than even if we tried to return the ball. I don't hate it. I would like to see it get more aggressive in Big Ten play when we're getting into the conference and we're starting to kind of build confidence because those are the types of things that really put teams down when like, oh, shit, not only is Nebraska rolling, not only are we giving them the ball out of the half, now they're on the 40 and they're, you know, they're already threatening after three plays or something yeah. like that. Yeah, when I and then I guess I, I expected a little more of it when they were getting their their butts kicked in. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought maybe they would open it up a little more. Yeah, like because like the what's hell? the worst yeah. that can happen? Seventy like, points. Just... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so. that's I. I honestly thought, man, this might get a this might get above sixty. It I was, was getting nervous. It was looking like that. It was looking like it. Um, Oklahoma really did take their take their foot off the gas um, pretty early on. I yeah. I thought that they were gonna run it up. I really did. I expected that because uh, with the you know the trick play and all that, and where mm-hmm. the, again, I just thought I was like, okay, they're gonna they want to prove a point. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, they are gonna be in play. I think forty nine points proves that point. I think they proved that they can. Yeah, yeah, they did. But I feel like they could have hung a lot more on us. Well, yeah, comfortably. Um, you know, for like a little show a showmanship when it comes to the the committee, you know, putting in votes for who who are the top four teams. Sure. And, you know, Oklahoma's going to be in competition with Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, um, and then, you know, whoever else rises to the occasion. So sure. style points will matter for them. So they I was got surprised. A, they got a good matchup coming this week uh, against K-State. That should be a good one. K-State just dropped their first game of the of the season, their first loss of the season to Tulane in a, in a heartbreak. I'm serious. It's <laughs> no, a heartbreak. No, sorry. I just... Is a heartbreaker. Yeah, it was tough. K State fans. The idea of K State being maybe they'll be a better opponent than we were to against Oklahoma. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. I doubt it. I'm going to say nothing else about (laughs) K State because there's absolutely no history there, recent or long term. The last thing I have on my nose for this game is just about Mickey Joseph, and we talked a little bit about it before we talked about Site One. But I feel like Mickey is the right coach for right now, and I think you know the reason I say that is he really cares about the players he really cares about guiding them through this hardship this experience what they're what they're going through in this moment and I just believe that he's going to keep these guys invested for the rest of the season whether or not he winds up being our next head coach I think is irrelevant at this exact moment he's not given up he's not thrown in the towel in this season he not only knows this this isn't just an audition for Nebraska it's an audition for his coaching future. It could be an audition for the next coach coming in here, whether that's whoever it happens to be, him, whatever. And I just really appreciate that. I also love his candor. When he's asked questions in the post-game press conference, he doesn't skirt them. He doesn't brush them aside. He doesn't give some sort of canned, pissy answer. He just answers the question. 
and he does it so honestly. And I can see why guys get behind him and trust him. I, I just, I really like, I really like that he's the guy leading the ship right now. In this exact moment, he's the guy that we need as we navigate uncharted water for this program. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And that's where I think a lot of the energy came from, from a lot of people. I don't think many people would disagree with with that assessment. Um, he was impressive leading up to this game. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he does, again, given more time to prepare you know, for the next couple of opponents. Absolutely. So. I, th- I think that giving him the week leading up to Oklahoma, him saying in his presser that he wants to focus more on drills, less about the team, more about the individual, the individual effort, that sort of thing, I think it's kind of a scary thought knowing that the players are willing to go out there and, and give it all for this guy, especially going into an opponent like Indiana who's gotten away with a lot of close ones. Yeah, they're the opposite of 2021 Nebraska yeah, at this point. They're, yeah. they're sneaking them out. So that, those are the thoughts that I have on this game. Obviously, it was, a, it was a tough watch, but I think it was an important watch. It was an important game for this team to show that, like, hey, we're not going to throw in the towel. We didn't necessarily hang at all with one of the best teams out there, but Oklahoma's looking like one of the best teams out there. Man, they're just getting better and better each week. And let's hope that they just go on and, and run the table and represent that former rivalry pretty damn well. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Before we move on, we want to take a quick moment to talk about our show partner, the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. As we mentioned at the top of the show, Wannabe Walk-Ons is the official podcast of the NCBG. We do our show with no outside funding or advertising because we don't want to take away from what it's all about. Beer, football, and celebrating the communities we love. Our partnership with the Guild is not a paid partnership because let's be honest, who would pay for this shit? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Our partnership... I'm keeping it, man. Just keep moving. (laughs) All right. If you want to keep that in there. It's simply a platform to share our show with folks we think will enjoy the things we're talking about. This past winter, the Guild was instrumental in passing legislation that would allow Nebraska brewers to self-distribute limited quantities of their beer without the need for a middleman. This new law allows the smaller brewers a chance to compete locally with some of the bigger craft brewers in the state. This is a huge step forward for a lot of the brewers in small towns like Taylor, Alliance, Seward, and Syracuse, just to name a few. When you drink craft beer, you're supporting local small businesses, which is important now more than ever. If you're a fan of craft beer like we are, you can support the NCBG by joining the Nebraska Beer Alliance. Being a member gives you access to exclusive discounts, Nebraska beer merch, and members-only information. You can learn more about the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild, find local breweries, and join the Nebraska Beer Alliance by visiting nebraska.beer. Nebraska.beer! <laughs> Drew, you know what I got in my hand right now? A Nebraska beer. I've got 10,000 emus. Emus. <laughs> Were you going to say emus? Emus. That's how I say it. Oh, it's emus, baby. Oh, not with me. Emus. Yeah. Yeah. I was deciding whether or not I was going to use an Australian accent to say 10,000 emus. How would you say it with it? I'm not. I don't. Oh, come on. 10,000 emus. (laughs) That was good. That was like, what's your New Zealand accent like? It's the same. (laughs) (laughs) So this is that Australian sparkling ale that we were talking about at the top of the show that neither of us have had before. This clocks in at 5.2%, so it's fairly hefty for what it tastes like, which is kind of a light lager, a pretty straightforward beer. But there's a little hint of something, and neither of us can really put our taste buds on it. But there's like this floral note or this kind of 
just like orange blossomy or rose petally, sort of something that comes in after you get that lager weediness or that kind of that malt from there. Yeah, it was it was really deceptive at first. Like it was almost like there was nothing. And then you take your second drink and it all count, it all comes to life. And so again, yeah, we can't we can't put it put a f- our finger on it or a taste bud on it. Yeah. But it's there and it's really good. <laughs> like it's really enjoyable. Yeah. Um it keeps it keeps like a I want to say a simple beer like this, but it is pretty simple um on the surface. It keeps it really interesting. Absolutely. This is something, this is one of those beers that like I would eat with a plate of something spicy Mm. because this is that perfect compliment where it's not going to overpower any of the extra spice. It's not going to add on to what's going on in that flavor profile, but it's still going to be a nice, pleasant drinking experience without just like an alcoholic water. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's something more complex than that. Yeah. Yeah. This is, um, this is a great beer when you're not looking just like, you know, pound of beer, um, it's it is it yeah it's just it's interesting in that one it's note a, it's a conundrum it like it's this, I know it's a very fascinating beer I love it I really do yeah. I enjoy this one um and we talked about like what what is a sparkling ale yeah um beforehand and I don't I, I don't I still don't know what a sparkling ale is but I don't either I kind of want to go explore that uh, that genre a little more so if you're ever in the area of a beer that is described as a Australian sparkling ale. Yeah. Especially if it's 10,000 em, emus. <laughs> however you want to say emus. Emus. 10,000. There you go. Emus. <laughs> it's an Australian sparkling ale. That's nice. That's all right. I mean, not as good as this beer. Yeah. So not only do we have the English IPA, we have the convict founded <laughs> continent of Australia represented here as well. Two really solid beers. Yeah, I'm I'm very impressed with, with what you got here. Yeah, definitely a place to go back to and continue to explore their menu. And and again, because they are this sort of incubator, they're constantly evolving and bringing new styles to the forefront. And the neat thing about breweries is each brewer has their own philosophy, right? They want to either brew the gold standard of a certain style or they want to add adjuncts to it and make an Oreo whatever, porter or something like that, you know. Everyone has their own feeling about what beer on a micro level could be. And Site One doesn't have to stick to those rules. They can just continue to evolve and be whatever. And I think that's a really mm-hmm. freeing concept about a brewery because it's like, okay, I'm going to pick this brewery because I'm in the mood for, for X. Or I'm going to go here because I'm in the mood for Y or there because of Z. Whereas with Site One, it's like, man, I want to go explore. I want to be challenged. And I want something that's damn good. Yeah. Something just gonna be new to you every yeah. every time, which is There's the so beauty of micro beer, right? Yeah. Like I want something new. I want to I want to not know what I'm drinking and enjoy the hell out of it. Yeah, like this. That's that's what's fun about. That's exactly. Yeah, this we sort didn't. Of stuff. I, we didn't know what the hell we were getting into on this one, and I think it paid off nicely. Is there a color that this beer could have been that you would have been like, fuck that? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the color an emu is, I don't know. <laughs> I want to say like gray grayish yeah which yeah if i poured a beer and it was gray i'd be like <laughs> yeah i'm good so, yeah one too many emus in this beer well getting away from emus and talking about a man who looks like a rodent tom allen <laughs> <laughs> damn i talked about this before we recorded he looks like a gopher less like a rat uh-huh nebraska's gonna be taking on the indiana hoosiers after a bye week i've got just the facts for everyone and then we'll move into dissecting this game as best we can. (laughs) 
So on October 1st, 2022, the Indiana Hoosiers travel to Lincoln, Nebraska to take on the Cornhuskers at Memorial Stadium. Kickoff is scheduled for either 6 or 6.30 p.m. once the television rights are assigned. Nebraska is led by Mickey Joseph in his second game as interim head coach. Joseph's record is 0-1 after this week's loss against Oklahoma. Indian, Indian. <laughs> Indiana is led by Tom Allen in his sixth season as head coach. Allen is 29-32 and all-time at Indiana, with his most recent victory coming against Western Kentucky. Barely. Uh, yeah, no, they got lucky on that one. The Huskers and Hoosiers have met a total of 21 times, with the Hoosiers holding the 10-8-3 advantage, which I know... A lot of it happened during wartime. <laughs> You're just it's a chopping false it a record. Bit. <laughs> I'm just saying. So, Drew, where do you want to start talking about Indiana football? Offense, their def- <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, in Australia, 5.2 turned upside down as 25. <laughs> where do you want to start talking about Indiana football? I've got I've got their offense listed first on my notes. So, you want to start there? Let's Me get too. Nebraska's defense out of the way. And yeah. We can go. We can go with that. Yeah. Um, tell me. Tell me what you what you think. What you know. Here's here's what I know. I know that IU Indiana's offense is not great. They're not very good. They're actually um, they're like five point five yards per play, which is ninetieth in the country. They can't really run the ball. They average just over four yards a rush and only six and a half yards per pass attempt. So, not a lot of greatness going on there. And it's not like they're facing really tough competition. Not uh, yet. Not yet. Um, but at the same time, and I'm going to try to be very realistic with, with my assessment of Indiana and my assessment of Nebraska and how they match up. Um, even though I fucking hate Indiana, (laughs) (laughs) you (laughs) listen to 45 minutes of a podcast and you just hate them. Irrational. Um, this is the type of offense and the type of quarterback that can give Nebraska defense fits. And not just because Nebraska's defense has struggled all year, but like it just, this is the type of team that they, again, they just, for whatever reason, like on paper, like we should be fine, but Indiana could scheme the fuck out of us and just to, to a frustrating end. Um, Connor Balsack can, <laughs> can just, Baslack. Eat, yeah, I don't know. I, I wasn't even going to try to pronounce his name. <laughs> I don't think I wrote it down. I think I really did write him down as Connor. Yeah, Balsack. Um, he could get into a rhythm where he's just completing easy throws. Um, he's going to be looking for Cam Camper, I think, to to really feed him the ball. Uh, they've got a couple of good running backs in in Shivers and Henderson, who could do some damage if we if we give him the the room to run. And so this it's this sets up to be what could be a very frustrating experience um, as far as our defense against their offense goes. You know what? I don't have a whole lot. To counter with that, what I what I see from Indiana a lot is that they favor the pass. They have a two to one pass to run ratio, so they are going to throw the ball. They are going to air it out. But Basilak is not an impressive quarterback. He is a consistent quarterback. He's someone who's going to deliver the ball on target, and his receivers are going to catch the ball fifty percent of the time. That's what they've shown time and time again. He's not the guy who's going to be the athletic man to miss out on being tackled in the backfield, scramble away, make a major throw, or anything like that but he will have the confidence to sit in the pocket, wait for something to open up, and if he needs to, throw the ball away. Yep, he'll make it happen like Northwestern's quarterback, North Dakota's quarterback, uh the ginger general. Yeah. Um yeah, he's he's the type of he's the type of quarterback that 
if Nebraska allows him to take what he wants, he will he'll get it. He is that kind of just patient and he's happy to live in mediocrity. Yep. And Iowa's finding out how they can get him away from Indiana <laughs> and transfer to their school. Like it's it's just that kind of a quarterback that, like you said, it can be a frustrating day for Nebraska. But they need they just need to get in the backfield. They need to disrupt that. They need to get him uncomfortable. And you just question if Nebraska is going to be capable on defense of doing something like that. If they can, if they can make this a pain in the ass for Basilak, then I think that they just throw that entire offense off rhythm. Indiana has not been successful running the football against anybody. And they haven't played anybody really of note. They've played an Illinois team. They've played Western Kentucky. And then what, West Virginia was at their just Virginia. Minus, Just Virginia. Minus the West, right? Not the Western side Is of that Virginia. Right? No, that's Illinois. Yep. I'm confusing them. So they played they played Idaho. We're sounding like an Indiana podcast right now. <laughs> Let's look them up on Wikipedia. Um no, they so they played they played Illinois, they played Idaho, and they played Western Kentucky. That's right. Forget the Virginia part. I was also thinking of Illinois. Easy to mix these two teams up. I would much rather play Indiana than Illinois. Agreed. And that's just me being me and you being you. <laughs> and us not trying to insult the people we're about to play in two weeks. Yeah, but fuck those guys. What I do like is how our defense lines up with two weeks of preparation. I do look forward to giving Nebraska time to not only work on their individual drills, like Mickey Joseph said they're going to do, but also to scheme against an Indiana team. And I think they're going to see the more they can be in the backfield, the more they can apply pressure. They don't have a whole lot of studs in that wide receiver core. They do have Cam Camper, who's been a force in every game that he's been a part of so far. But they they don't necessarily have anyone else. So if they can really get back there and throw Basilak off his schedule, I think they can be effective on defense. Yeah, and right now Indiana is undefeated. But they have to travel for their first road game to Cincinnati, um, which should be tough for them. I don't expect them to win that game. or even I don't think that one will be close. I also do not expect them to win <laughs> yeah. against Cincinnati. <laughs> So I think they're going to be coming off of their first loss. They're going to be on the road again for the second uh, week in a row. They hate Willie Nelson. <laughs> Do they? I don't know. On the road again. <laughs> um, yeah, and and again, yeah, our our defense is going to have that extra week of preparation to to figure out what what they need to do to stop this mediocre at best attack. Um, what I will say, though, in counter to that, is that Indiana has shown that they can be a second-half team. And That's that, all they are. They're, they're, they're just not an offense that you can count out until late in the fourth. Because if they're within striking distance, if they feel like the game is still within, which in every single game that they've won has been just within reach, they're able to pull it out in that second half. Yeah. They've been successful in the red zone. They've scored six of their seven opportunities in the red zone. And so they're a team that you just need to keep off schedule, keep them from moving the ball, and really, when when their back is against the ropes, you need to deliver that killer strike, that knockout, that trick play when you're up two touchdowns, <laughs> and and just make them feel like they cannot win this game because at any point throughout this season, they've never felt out of it. And that's the thing to me that's actually scary about this Indiana defense is is they believe they can win in any situation, and so far they have a hundred percent evidence that they can. Yeah, and that's why I said they're the op- they're the opposite of the twenty one Nebraska team. Right. They're scrappy. They play close games, but they win them. They've trailed in all three of their games so far at halftime, and they've come back and won every single one. What's that like? They, yeah, they just don't like they. Yeah, they do not give up. And sometimes it is like a ball bouncing their way. It's not always um, everything within their control. 
you know, sometimes it's the other team just kind of blowing it, but they're 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 doing enough to hang around to give themselves a chance, and when that opportunity is there, they take it. It's Tom Allen yelling from the sidelines is what motivates them. Just <laughs> screaming to the point to where his eyes go black and just bulging they, out of their his skull. offense is terrified. And they just go out and execute. Yeah. So moving into Indiana's defense, Drew, what are your thoughts on how they match up against Nebraska's offense? Um, so again, their their defense is not that great. They're actually comparable to Nebraska in terms of statistics in a lot of the major areas. Um, like their pass defense, they give up about the same percentage completion, the same yards per attempt. They've got the exact same touchdown to interception ratio. Um for for their rush defense, I thought this was a really interesting stat. In the first half against teams, their rush defense only allows 3.4 yards per rush. But if you look at the second half and overtime stats, they're giving up 4.9 yards per rush, a full yard and a half more. And so that tells me that this is a team that, even though they are a second-half team in terms of coming back and finding a way to win, defensively, they're a team that you could wear down. Yeah, that gets that gets tired. That is just it feels like they're just kind of clinging. They're just kind of holding on in that sense. And so, what I hope to see is I hope to see Nebraska utilize the the true strength of their offense, which is their running game, their running backs. Um, let those guys go to work and hopefully just wear wear the defense down. To build upon that, um, because I don't like making myself suffer enough, I was watching Tom Allen's presser against Western Kentucky while working out and he was actually okay with the bend don't break philosophy he said to his guys give them as many yards as they want but get tough in the red zone and his team held in the red zone so Western Kentucky had three trips into the red zone where they walked away with only six points which is a huge win defensively yeah right you would expect that would turn into 21 points when you get into that area so they do bow up really tightly but again, to, to bounce off of your point, Chase Brown had 199 yards against Indiana. They get defeated by these featured backs who continue to pound and pound and eat away and chip away at that defensive front. And I think Nebraska, just like you said, can really be effective in that run game. But also their pass defense isn't that great, especially when you have wide receivers like a, a Palmer Uh, a Washington, guys who have speed on their side because their DBs are playing more of a zone. And if you can burn past them um, when they switch over to like man coverage or something like that, they have a really hard time keeping up. Western Kentucky did a lot of good work just burning DBs. Yeah. So I think Nebraska's offense is going to be their strength in this game, just like Indiana's offense is going to be the strength for Indiana in this game. When I look at the two, and I know Nebraska has struggled, obviously, this year so far, but where we haven't struggled is offensively in executing and in scheming properly. I would put my chips on Nebraska's offense to outplay Indiana's offense. The big question is whose defense is going to show up this game. That really, to me, is the defining factor of who wins this game, is who's going to be the better defensive team. And right now, I don't know. I don't have some magical prediction on that front. Yeah, and that's where, the again, the realistic side of me isn't looking forward to this game quite so much because this is one where, yeah, the offense can be clicking the whole way through, but if the defense isn't making stops, it's it can get, it can be tight the whole way. Yeah. And I th- and honestly, I think it will be, um, even with the extra time to prepare. 
even with that extra week off. I still think that this is, it doesn't line up great for Nebraska. Um, it lines up just enough where it'll be a game. It'll be, a, it'll be a game. Um, but I, I, like you said, I, I count on our offense to do just enough to, to get the win. Um, cause we've seen that against the, the lesser competition where our offense hasn't been consistent, you know, as much as we'd like to see, but it's been good enough to, to put up a considerable amount of points. Yeah. Um, and they can, they can score in a lot of ways and they can be successful either on the ground or through the air. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm kind of looking at and expecting from this one. I guess what I look at is, you know, Illinois was incredibly successful running the ball on the ground. They've got a featured back in Chase Brown who just absolutely thrashed Indiana. But what Illinois lacked was a, a pass game. When you look at Western Kentucky, they had a really great passing attack, but they didn't have the ground game. And I feel like Nebraska is more complete on that front. They have both sides of the coin. They have great receivers. They've got a poised quarterback in Casey Thompson. And then you've got running backs. And I think A.J. Allen is injured at the moment, so I don't know if he'll be in at this game. But you've got uh, Anthony Grant. You've got Gabe Irvin, who came on strong. You've got uh, Jacquez Yant. And you've got Ramir Johnson, who hasn't really made an impact at all this season. So you've got a lot of options in the backfield. And then who knows if you're going to see a package from Purdy or if you're going to see a package from Smothers where you get that run attack on top of the strong passing attack that Nebraska brings. I like Nebraska's offense to outmatch Indiana's defense maybe just one more possession further than Indiana's offense does the same to Nebraska. Yeah, I guess and one credit to Indiana that I haven't brought up yet goes to their linebacking unit. Um, there's three three names that stand out to me. On is number one, so far. number one, Cam Jones. Yep. yep, yep. Cam Jones. He leads the team in tackles. He's a senior. He's an outside linebacker. Um, it's fifth year senior. Just graduate already. Yeah, right. get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Dude's uh, a havoc player. I mean, he is in on every major play that that goes on. His hand is either on the ball, re- recovering the ball. He, I think he had like a, a a goal line fourth down stop where he like dove Troy Polamalu style over the entire line against Idaho and just yeah. brought the guy down. I mean. He is fun to watch. He's a special guy for them. Yeah. He's a he's a big time player. Um they've got another outside linebacker who's only a freshman. It's a Desan McAuliffe. Uh he leads the team in sacks with three of them. Um and so and and one thing that really stood out to me, I guess, in their defense as a whole, is they do have a lot of like seniors, like six year, like the super seniors this year, um, but a lot of youth as well. So they've got a real interesting mix of experience and, and unexperience, but they're seeing guys from all levels showing up and, and contributing. Um, and then also Aaron Casey, he's a middle linebacker there that shores up the middle. He's, I think he's second on the team in tackles. So they do have a strong, um, strong core there in the middle of the field. Um, which again, like it's another reason to kind of feel like they've got just enough pieces to really create some problems for Nebraska. Do you feel like this game is going to be a measuring stick for how the rest of the season is going to go? Like, is this is this the kind of game where we can say, okay, Oklahoma was number six in the country. They're a difficult team, whether we had an established head coach or not. But with Mickey Joseph having two weeks now to prepare for this game, do you feel like we can efficiently measure what his rest of the season might look like? Yeah, I think you can. I, th- I really do. I do too. Um, yeah, because yeah. Oklahoma, yeah, again, Oklahoma, you can write it off. Um Again, it's a great team that's just, they're just finding themselves, but they're really, they're going to hit their stride. Yeah, they're like me at 13. And we're, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> look where you are in your basement with your little <laughs> headphones on <laughs> recording your podcast. 
Um, not what I meant at all, but no, I appreciate fine. taking it that direction. <laughs> hey, I'm sitting here right opposite you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so... Um, we record oh, in a high-dollar studio. I don't know what you're right. talking about. There is, yeah. There's, there's insulation. Paneling. Yeah. Um, no, Oklahoma's a, Oklahoma's a great team, and, and, and we're, we're a mess right now, right? Like, we yeah. are. Like, we really were a mess. Um, Indiana's going to be completely different. This is, this is a team that you expect to win who... Um, even though they they have a winning record, they will have a winning record regardless of what happens with Cincinnati. Going into this game, they've not looked great. They've they've kind of stumbled their way to this record that they have. You um, just described the Big Ten West, by we, the way. Yeah, right, what a fucking shit show. <laughs> Jesus, Iowa's coming out on top, by the way. Minnesota, although no, I think it's Minnesota to be right now. To be honest, yeah. yeah. Um, it'll be fucking Purdue. <laughs> Who knows? I'll be it's right. Still, it's still all up ish. Um. But anyway, so yeah, so this is a uh, Oklahoma. You can write off. Yeah. Indiana is a, is a team that we still are better talent wise. Like we should, you should still feel like you can beat this team going into it. Mickey Joseph has the extra time to prepare, um, to coach his guys up, to actually coach them, um, to work with his coaches in their new roles, um, which are slightly altered, and so. Yeah, this is definitely going to be one where you can really grade a lot. Yeah, I guess my reason for asking the question is because I wanted to answer the question as well, right? I do feel like this is the game where, okay, how we play against an Indiana team is how we're going to play out the rest of the season, good or bad. All the strengths that we see against this team are going to be the strengths that carry us through and keep us in games, and all the weaknesses are going to be what teams expose against us. So I think this is a very important game for how this season's going to play out. And I also think it's in a, a very important game for how the Mickey Joseph era is going to play out at Nebraska. And obviously we, we want nothing but success on that front, but we also have to be realistic about what two weeks time can really turn around on this team. So I just think it's an interesting matchup going into this. It's the right opponent for this moment because I think it's, it's an opponent where you can match up against them. You can with your talent level be effective against them. But if you, now you want to look at and see, okay, how can he scheme and execute against that? Yeah, and you you should be able to scheme and find success. Yeah, like you should be able to pinpoint some things, um, again to get right. Not not everything. Not everything will be fixed. There'll be it'll be a struggle. And oh, I think yeah. that's what makes it good, is that it, this is one of those teams that you look at. And it's like this is the inferior opponent, um, who's not really inferior yeah. at this point, and so there is that mental hurdle that you have to get over. Um, same color as Oklahoma, completely different name yeah you know uh so it'll yeah it it again i just to reiterate again this is a great i think this is a great opponent at this time to to judge how effective mickey's coaching can be uh moving forward for the rest of the season awesome shall we move into our predictions we're gonna i'm gonna move into the bathroom (laughs) we'll take a break and right back after drew peas All right, so Drew's back from going to the bathroom, and one of the benefits of going to the bathroom in the modern age is that you can check your phone, and as we were recording this, we just got notified that Eric Chenander is now out as defensive coordinator, and that Bill Bush is taking over as defensive coordinator for Nebraska. Just the chaos fucking continues <laughs> in this in this 2022 season, and uh, I guess it's one of those things that everyone's thinking, like, Chins needs to go, but you wonder... How much of an impact does that have on the season? 
how does that affect the psyche of the players? Defensive coordinator Chins has given some consistency to this defense that hasn't had consistency over the years with their previous head coaches and things of that nature. So you kind of look at it and you go, hey, he's improved year over year. But man, did Oklahoma really expose where we really are as a defense? Yeah. And well, not just Oklahoma, but Georgia, Georgia Southern, Southern before that. Um, yeah, he yeah, Chins did. He he improved us year over year. Um, it felt that was another thing that felt inevitable that he wasn't he wasn't going to last into next year. Yeah. Um, I'm, I I didn't expect him to go at this point. Yeah, because I w- I was curious who who was going to be the replacement. Um, for okay, just before add, before we get into this, how <laughs> weird is it? Just for everyone listening, that five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking Forget about what everything that we just said. <laughs> I mean, no, it, I don't think anything. I don't think anything changes in that that regard. Yeah, you know, as far as as that goes. Um, I'm sorry. It's just a we- what I think is beautiful about this season of the podcast is that it has turned into a time capsule of just the goings on of this season. And I think all the podcasts out there covering Nebraska football are just like, man, I don't know my ass from my nose at this point. I am just upside down. We've had, so we've had um, recording so far, at least that I've, like the first things that come to mind. So we've had, we've started recording within an hour after now Chenander. Yeah. Uh, Frost being fired. And then also I think uh, Nui Lee at the beginning of the year, like before yeah. the year started, yeah. like right before we were going to record an episode, it was Nui Lee is out for the year. Yeah. There's so much fucking shit that happens. <laughs> At this time of day, yeah, we need to I pick guess, a new recording time. I you think know is what? The lesson. Nothing but. happened at Sunday at two in the afternoon, <laughs> and now everything <laughs> happens Sunday at two in the afternoon. It's madness. It's chaos. Um, I anyway, I am never. I'm never a fan of people losing their jobs. No. Um, it's it's you know it sucks. There's there's because it's not just these. It's not just dudes right. that are losing it. Like there's families involved, right? Like, um, generally you know young families who you know bounce around the country and 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 deal with that uncertainty and i'm sure that that's very difficult you know those people there's there's people behind there making a lot of sacrifices we we were fortunate enough to be at the walkthrough last year before the season started Mm -hmm. uh that was uh, like a fan invite sort of situation and greg austin's family was there you know and and so like after the walkthrough he comes over and sees his kids and his wife and is spending time with them and you really do have to realize that these are real people they're real families. It's hard enough, like, living in the same place and going to work day in and day out, but then also knowing that if you don't perform well at your job, you might have to move across the country. Like, it's not even a... Yeah, if you're, and that's if you're lucky. Like, that, like it, you, your job is so public. Yeah. And it's so overly criticized by assholes like us who sit in the basement. <laughs> Quit bringing up the beer. word. About- I'm sorry. <laughs> we are in a high-dollar uh- <laughs> studio drinking sparkling... Australian ale, which is the champagne of Down Under. <laughs> what an incredible! I this tastes better just knowing it's the champagne of Down Under. That's what they call golden showers awesome. in Australia. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord, this has gone off the rails. Well, um, <laughs> if it, that's twenty twenty two in a yeah. in a in a nutshell, oh. I was going to say in a nut bag, and I was like, that's not the right <laughs> that's expression. Not it. That's not it. <laughs> Anyways, you don't like it when people get fired. <laughs> yeah. 
So it's not a laughing matter. No. Is what we're trying to say here. Um. <laughs> here, here's, here's my thoughts on this is, you know, Chins was criticized immediately when he yeah. came to Nebraska. And this defense has steadily improved year over year over year. And this year was supposed to be the banner year of the Nebraska defense. We finally got the pass rushers that we were looking for. We have a linebacking core that, man, we can really hang our hat on. And the only real question mark is the secondary because they're young. But this is going to be a Nebraska defense that brings back that that black shirt pride that really earns the black shirt. And it's not just like a passing tradition. And they just haven't been able to live up to expectation. And they've just been outmatched. Yeah. And and I think that people are really just starting to see from a from an administrative standpoint, like, I wouldn't be surprised if this was a, a a Trev decree or if this was Mickey being like, look, we've got to try something to salvage 2022. We've got to throw everything we can at it. And and maybe given more time, Chins gets this thing figured out because we've seen that steady progression. But I can understand the immediacy of this year. And he's also a guy who's going to land on his feet. He, yeah, he's going to he find will. another opportunity. And and so it's it's something where it's like, hey, maybe maybe start seeking that out now. It, it, to me, it almost feels kind of like a, a mercy firing in that sense where it's like probably not going to be here next year. So get a head start on next season. Yeah, he he figured stuff out year over year. Never really game over game. Yeah, if this feels like this is what this defense That's is. a really good point. And it and it this is, you know, I don't you said it was going to be a banner year. I think last year really was a pinnacle. Um and that's easy to say in hindsight, but like they Yeah, you asshole. Yeah, right. <laughs> but but um this this year shows that there it was almost like being built on sand. Like there was no development happening behind the scenes is what it feels like. They did a lot to try to plug a lot of holes with transfers um, at key positions uh, with, you know, with Oshan, with, with the guys up in the middle with Wynn and Drew, Tommy Hill in the, in the secondary. Um, but, but so far, and then, and then losing Doman and trying to, you know, fit in Gifford and uh, Klarevic. But this this has just shown that like these these guys who have been who've been in the program for a while, um, and then guys that they brought in who are who are good talents, they don't have it. Like they they couldn't piece it together. They couldn't develop pieces. They couldn't bring in the the pieces to make it all fit and click. And that speaks poorly at, to you as a defensive coordinator. So like yeah. I understand, I understand why you got to let him go at this point. Um, I don't know. It just it, it's kind of a bummer. It's just yeah. kind of a bummer. I like Chins. I did. Yeah. Um I He's didn't, still alive. He's, you can he's still fine. <laughs> I didn't like his defense this year. And so I get why they why they parted ways. Sure. And you know w- when you sit and think like, "Oh, they they need to let Chenander go." You know, that's that's a popular sentiment amongst Nebraska fans, especially when you see a Georgia Southern team put up as many points as they did, when you see Oklahoma put up as many points as they did, when you have issues with gap integrity, when you have issues with guys being in the right place, communication, all this sort of stuff. I mean, the hits keep coming. They don't stop coming. You can just hit the ground running, you know. <laughs> the rules make sense, but it makes no fun. You rank it smart, you head it some. The point is <laughs> The, the point I'm trying to make is, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I got lost in the lyrics. I really don't know where I was going with that. Holy shit. You got swept off your feet by the... Yeah, I really did. Yeah. Oh, man. 
Is it Smash Mouth with that? Yeah, I think that was Smash Mouth. (laughs) No, but I but I guess what I'm what I'm trying to get at is Mickey Joseph has trust in Bill Bush. They both came from LSU. They both have experience working together. Bill Bush has a long history with Nebraska as well. So there's a lot of of reasons where you go, okay, you let go of chins, who's gonna fill those shoes? Who's going to step up and and fill that role? And it's gonna have to be something, someone internal. You're not gonna go out and find someone who's willing to come in here for however many months left are in, in the season and be an effective leader on the defensive side. So at this point, it comes up and it, and it winds up being 100% about scheme. You believe that Bill Bush can throw enough surprise punches at your upcoming opponents that they can be in the right spot, they can surprise, they can be effective. You say, okay, we've got two weeks to figure out our communication style with this new leader. We've got two weeks to figure out how we want to attack this team. We've got two weeks to really figure out what we want to throw, I mean, they're just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks at this point because the worst case scenario is what, we never win another game this season? I think we're already prepared for that. Are we not? I don't want to admit it, but yeah. But I mean, I would rather see the last-ditch effort to try and make something happen and say we're not giving up. No, The, no the other side is rolling over and dying. Yeah, yeah. Right? So as much as I hate to see someone like Chins, who has improved year over year. I think the the thing you said, though, where he's improved year over year, just not game after game. Okay, let's give someone else a shot and see if we can make a miracle happen. And to me, a miracle is is eking out maybe three more wins out of this season. It's just shoring. Yeah. Shoring things up so it's no more just straight-up embarrassment. The other thing I will say, and this is, I think, to Chins' credit as a coordinator— is that he came in obviously with Frost, but they came in as like complementary pieces, and that and that was their that was their whole thing. So they, when when Chins was struggling, they were like just hold, just hold on. Like our defense operates off of our offense and vice versa. They are they they're a package deal, and so you might not like the defense, but our offense is going to score more points, and our defense is going to do just enough to hold them or give the ball back to our offense and so on and so forth. Is a complementary piece, and when Frost's offense was taken out of the equation. Chin's defense went in the fucking garbage. And I think that a lot of that has to do with, again, with the lack of maybe development behind the scenes that we weren't necessarily expecting. But I I also think that, like, again, he, he predicated his entire scheme on Frost's offense and working in tandem with that. And so, like, that wasn't there this year. So... I think that might have had at least a little bit to do with some of the struggles on defense. Yeah. Just a little bit. And so, again, to let him go makes sense because they're moving on. They're moving past everything that Frost brought here. Um, But still, caught off, a little caught off guard. Little, wasn't expecting it still. No. Mid, you know, Obviously, not when day. we record an entire podcast yeah. <laughs> episode and then, and then it happens. Do you see anyone else maybe dissolving from this staff at this point? I mean, is it something where you're thinking, hey, if an opportunity arises... I hate to say it, but I think a guy like Travis Fisher, who's always he's on gotta, the list for going somewhere in the SEC to be a DB's coach or something like that. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a great opportunity, and this is the year he finally is like, you know what? I, I've worked my way to this. Yeah. I've been loyal as possible, and and it's just not looking great for the future for me here. Yeah, I mean, all these coaches were they they were Frost guys, um, and they were all. They were all, you know, they were all in it to flip the thing around, and it's being, you know, taken apart bit by bit. Um, it's flipping around, all right. 
So I I mean I don't I don't know that I expect any of them to be around next year. Maybe I but it's so fucking up in the air. You know, yeah. depending on who, depending on how the rest of the season goes, depending on how Mickey does, depending on who the new coach is. Um, it's too it's there's too much. Like some of these guys have no ties to Nebraska whatsoever. Some of them like Rude, obviously are very tied in. Um, I have no fucking idea what's gonna happen. Where I, I, at the end of the day, like yeah, we're gonna lose we're gonna lose some really good positional coaches um but i you know i don't know i I want them to go find success where they can find success whether it's here or somewhere else yeah so man what a pivot yeah what what a pivot it's like moving a couch up the stairs on an episode of friends just screaming pivot does that reference lost on you that won't that made nothing that did nothing for me sorry fuck me So moving back to where we were originally supposed to be after that brief restroom break, talking about our Indiana predictions. I'd yes. like to go first. Okay. Because yeah. I wrote a very brief oh, wow. one for you. Yeah. And it is such. I know that Drew has a very deep and long-running hatred for the boys from Bloomington. I can only imagine the ringer Drew's prediction will put the Hoosiers through. So rather than try to compete with his prediction, I'm simply going to get out of the way and say... Nebraska 27, Indiana 24. Drew, the floor is yours. Give him hell. Okay, well, um, I'm going to start mine off by saying after the way the things have been going lately, I decided to. (laughs) (laughs) I can't predict. I wrote my stuff on Friday. On Friday. You can't even predict what I'm going to do, let alone. On Friday. 48 hours ago, <laughs> I was sitting on a lunch break thinking, uh-huh. all right, I'm going to write my prediction, and here's how things are going to go. And then 48 hours later, the world has been turned upside down, and we're drinking 10,000 emus, <laughs> debating about how is it pronounced. Emus. Emus. Here, here's the deal. In mysterious <laughs> ways. I, I hate Indiana <gasps> with a passion. Yes. Um. Also, my team that I cheer for <laughs> has <laughs> just fired their defensive coordinator um, after historically bad performances in back-to-back games. So um, I decided to maybe not tempt the universe to fuck me in the ass again, and so I am not going to rag on Indiana I'm gonna let I'm gonna let I'm gonna let it be what it is. Realistic. Okay. This is gonna be a fucking game. Indiana sucks hard. Nebraska sucks a little less hard. Okay? Fair enough. Mickey Joseph was baptized by fire against Oklahoma on short notice. Against Indiana in Indiana, there's no D. Against Indiana, however, he will have a chance to show what he can do with time to prepare. Indiana provides an opportunity to get right on both sides of the ball, or at least to show there is hope against weaker competition. Heavy doses of Anthony Grant and A.J. Allen, maybe. I guess he's injured now, so that's news. (laughs) There's so much fucking news happening today. Uh, Heavy doses of Anthony Grant and other running backs will prove effective enough to keep Nebraska's offense on schedule more often than not. And Trey Trey Palmer... Trey Palm! (laughs) So many emus in my mouth. (laughs) can't even speak 10,000 of them Ah. 
and Trey Palmer will feast again from the slot. But it will be Travis Vokalek who opens up the scoring bonanza on a perfectly run seam route. The defensive struggles continue, maybe under new defensive coordinator Bill Bush, to leave Nebraska fans baffled and bewildered as Connor Balsack and the Hoosier offense dink and dunk their way to 24 first-half points. Indiana will hang around well into the fourth quarter, but late-game heroics from Garrett Nelson will force an errant throw, and Miles Farmer will secure his first interception of the year. Nebraska pounds the rock to close things out and walks away with a dicey victory, the first, but hopefully not last, of Mickey's tenure. Nebraska 42, Indiana 34. Ooh, that's a lot more comfortable than my game. More comfortable, but a shootout. Yeah. And not comfortable at all. So, a shootout from the ball sack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, uh, yeah. It's going to, I honestly, I, I think that Indiana is bad. Like, they are so fucking bad. Um, but Nebraska will play to that level as always. I'm just excited for the first shot of the from the film crew on the sidelines where they show Tom Allen standing on his apple box so that he's <laughs> above five feet tall. And then the first time he gets angry at the ref and his his eyes just turn to black and he just <laughs> <laughs> That dude is so much fucking emotion on the sidelines over the dumbest shit. Yeah. It's incredible. Oh yeah. He even said in his post game presser when they when they like made the field goal, he's like Mother. Okay, because he loses his voice does, yeah. after every game. <laughs> and threw my and threw my squ- I threw my black hole sheet off to the side and then I threw my headphones and then I ran onto the field and I don't even remember what happened. That's that's Tom <laughs> Allen. And like that's that's, good that's a better impression of Tom Allen than my Australian accent. Could you do Tom Allen? Tom, Tom Allen. Tom Allen. Tom Allen with a, an Australian accent. Oh man, Australian let me, let Allen. Me, let me. <laughs> Aus, Tom Australian. <laughs> I threw my scoreboard off to the side, and then I threw off my headphones, and then I ran onto the field, and I don't even remember what happened after that. <laughs> I just I drank I drank ten thousand emus, and uh, after that I was just so excited to celebrate with my team. And uh, I'm just so proud of the effort they did to, to, to score only three more points than our opponent. <laughs> oh, oh man. Okay. We're, we're, I hope we win. <laughs> God, we fucking better. I hope that people from Indiana who listen to our podcast are like, man, fuck those guys, but they still won. Oh, man. I can't wait for something else to change in between the time we record this and the time this airs. Oh, some, yeah, something else for sure. Nebraska's, Nebraska's going to change their mascot name or <laughs> we're going to be purple and brown as our new colors or who knows what's going to happen. Oh, shit. All right, Drew, you've got the last, first last line <clears throat> of the show. Why don't you send us out in style? All right, here we go. That does it for this week. We want to thank everyone who tuned in to this week's episode. If you have anyone who you think would enjoy a listen, we would truly appreciate your recommendation. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Wannabe Walk-Ons and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to call into the Wannabe Talk-Ons hotline with your post-game reactions. Dial 402-427-0258. 
leave us a message and you could be the first person to do so. Yeah, bonus points uh, if you do it in an Australian accent. <laughs> Remember to do your part. Drink local beer wherever you are. If you have any breweries you would like us to sample on the show, visit wannabewalkons.com to submit your recommendation. We are off next week during the Huskers bye week, but we will return October 4th to react to the Indiana game, preview Rutgers, and profile another Nebraska brewer. Thanks for listening, and as always, drink Big Red. Drink Big Red.